If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Micah 6, verses 1 through 8. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam son of Beor answered him, and what happened when Shittim took Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Here ends the reading from our tradition, and may God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. We find ourselves in the middle of a trial. The charges are abuse of power, deception, betrayal, and obstruction of justice. The prosecutors have evidence ready to go. The transcripts are available. Witnesses abound, anxiety is high, and the language parsing is just beginning. I am, of course, describing the scene of the text we read today. Right, yeah, I mean, obviously. God has taken Israel to metaphorical court, and no, I really don't know how the lectionary so regularly aligns with current events. It's like the Bible is political or something. But about that other trial, news and commentary on the president's impeachment trial in the Senate has been relentless this week, hasn't it? Although perhaps it would be more accurate to say impeachment proceedings because nothing about the last two weeks has resembled a trial. 
On Friday evening, Republican senators voted in near lockstep to block testimony from any new witnesses or the production of any new documents, a vote that was tantamount to an acquittal of the impeachment charges against President Trump. None of this should have been a surprise, of course, because Majority Leader Mitch McConnell announced in December that he planned to work in complete coordination with the White House in protecting the president from any accountability, and that he had no intention of honoring the oath he would take to be an impartial juror. I have heard it suggested multiple times that if the GOP is just going to do whatever it wants, then the Democrats should do the same thing as if zero accountability authoritarianism is the appropriate response to zero accountability authoritarianism. But now is not the time to double down on large-scale ethical and moral failure, which is why this text is so very important in this moment. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? I mean, even heretics like us know this one. We sing that Bible verse every Sunday after the preacher gives the benediction. It is our charge to one another. This is why we face each other when we sing it. Did you know that? I mean, we don't turn to the center aisle just to watch the preacher make her escape. We are literally giving each other one last reminder, singing to each other what we are supposed to do when we leave this place. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. But before we focus only on that single verse, theologian Benjamin Kautzer reminds us that the book of Micah does indeed contain its fair share of destruction the prophet begins by surveying the corrupt political landscape and witnesses a society spiraling towards catastrophe. Wealthy and oppressive land grabbers, intoxicated by power and propagandized by their own false prophets, shamelessly defraud the weak and vulnerable of their inheritance. Political leaders have come to believe they are so powerful that they can get away with whatever they want. Darkness no longer hides in shadows, but flaunts its oppressive and unjust acts in the cold light of day. Those who should have taken up the cause of justice instead hate good and love evil, as it says in chapter 3. As a consequence of violence and greed, the bodies of the poor have become expendable, ravaged, used, mutilated, and consumed, like meat for the pan, it says, like flesh for the pot. Politicians judge for a bribe, priests teach for a price, prophets peddle divinations for money, and all claim divine legitimacy for their actions by ceaselessly invoking God on our side. This litany of despair, though, is what gets us to the sixth chapter of Micah and its courtroom drama. God initiates a covenant litigation against Israel for being a fickle and faithless people and asks why they have abandoned God, abandoned their covenant, a covenant, a sacred relationship, which is a wholehearted commitment to show up for each other, the highest expression of love. Yet Israel has forgotten this, and we hear it in how they respond 
But what do you want from us, God? Burnt offerings? Thousands of rams? 10,000 rivers of oil? Child sacrifice? As Walter Brueggemann, the great theologian, points out, it is commonly noticed that the answer builds from the least valuable to the most valuable, but every part of the answer is a commodity. And God is not interested in commodities. God does not want stuff from Israel. God is about relationship, right relationship, which is why it's important to note the litany of oppression and corruption that comes before this trial. Nobody is in right relationship. That's why we get this trial. There are a few of you wondering, I think, what it means to say that God is about relationship, since around here we speak of God as a transcendent mystery. I mean, how can a mystery be about relationship? And the best I can say is that the only reason any of us know anything about God is because someone held our hand when we were scared dried our tears when we cried, and danced like crazy to celebrate us on our good days. The Bible is a conglomeration of story after story about relationships, relationships at their best and their worst, and from which we are supposed to learn how to be in right relationship. And the only way to be in right relationship with God is to be in right relationship with each other. This is why nothing that Israel offers instead is sufficient. Not burnt offerings, not thousands of rams, not rivers of oil. Only that which puts us in right relationship will do. Justice, kindness, humility. Which is why this is arguably the most dangerous and most difficult verse for us to claim as sacred that justice, kindness, and humility is what God requires of us is a nice one-liner, but taken seriously, these are life-altering expectations. First of all, it is a reminder that there is no such thing as a cosmic swap meet. The part that often goes unnoticed about Micah 6.8 is that there isn't a promise of anything in return. Should we meet these expectations, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly in exchange for nothing? This is really disappointing to some Christians. Some of us would like a side of everlasting life with our good behavior, thank you very much. A mansion over the hilltop, that's what Christianity is to some. The quid pro quo, live a certain way and you are guaranteed a storage unit in the sky. But even progressives are guilty of thinking there's a participation trophy, although instead of everlasting life, we prefer a tax break. That was made somewhat evident in the fallout from the 2017 tax overhaul, which meant that many of us can't get a benefit from donating to nonprofits, including church, and apparently that tax break was a pretty significant incentive 
In 2018, despite a strong economy, American households reduced their charitable giving by over $15 billion. Last year, giving went down in this particular congregation about 12%. And I can see y'all getting fidgety. But who else is going to ask us to be honest about what conditions make us more or less willing to give? Not your accountant. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly, even if you don't get a tax break. But the real life-altering expectation for us is that call to relationship by doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly. I do not need to spend much time with this congregation dissecting all three. You already know that justice is not the same as charity. The answer to homelessness is homes, not shelters. The answer to hunger is a living wage, not free school lunches. You already know that the Bible doesn't give us suggestions for being nice, but instructions for being relentlessly generous and merciful. This is what it means to love kindness. And to walk with humility is to be attentive, careful, wise, to walk humbly with God is to be mindful that we shouldn't go around spilling our eagle, egos all over whoever is in the immediate vicinity. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. Perhaps this is what my deepest hope for this congregation is, that we would be known as a relationship church because it would mean we would be living into the beautiful verse we hold so dear, to be relationship people, right in this particular moment, is so vital and deeply countercultural. For as Bill Coffin noted, without a doubt, our culture overvalues the virtues of autonomy, the strength to stand alone, the capacity to act independently, Far too little attention is paid to the virtues of dependence and interdependence, and especially to the capacity to be vulnerable. So I, I envision Mayflower United Church of Christ as a place where we work at living more deeply than anywhere else, a place where we talk to each other so that we can begin to see ourselves differently from how the world defines us. I picture us gathering in our fellowship hall and in the classrooms in our education wing to own up to our fears, to get in touch with our pain, to feel and so help the ease, ease the pain of others. I see Mayflower United Church of Christ as being the most nurturing, affirming community in our lives, a place where we can love fiercely, be relentlessly generous, and discern wisdom, a community of transformation. For how else will the world change if we are not tending our little corner of it? A good place to start is simply by inviting the person two pews in front of you to lunch today. Swap stories about your greatest joy 
and what keeps you up at night. And out of that conversation, out of those joys and sorrows, it's likely you'll end up scheduling both another meal and arranging a carpool to the state capitol for justice work. And there's plenty of it to do with sessions starting this week. We have a chance to effectively ban so-called conversion therapy, to fund drug courts in all 77 counties, and to reinstate permit requirements for gun owners. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. In just a little bit, we'll stand and sing these words to each other. May it be that if someday we are put on trial for doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly, that there will be plenty of witnesses to testify. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.